Hello, and welcome to another episode of Whole and Complete Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Shantae, and Whole and Complete is all about faith and wellness, loving God and living well. So we are in season three, and let me just prepare you for the long haul. Buckle up, buttercups, because we are strapping in for a lengthy series of series. <laughs> okay, like this is already a series-based podcast, and we are buckling in for a series of series. I think I did this in season one, but we are back at it in season three for a series of series. And this series of series is all about relationships. We are going to be talking about relationships for at least the next, oh my goodness, eight, nine episodes. And we are going to be talking about our relationship with food. We are going to be talking about our relationship with money. And we're going to be talking about our relationship with God. And there's a lot to unpack in every last one of these series. So today kicks off a series of series starting with food. And what actually brought me to this is the fact that I think I've shared, you know, that I've been on this fitness journey, which has been less about weight loss and really more about getting fit, getting healthy, because you can lose weight and still look um, what's the word I want to use and not, and not achieve the results <laughs> and not achieve the desired effect that you might be looking for. So for me, and I've lost weight before I've lost lots of weight before and the results just did not manifest in the way that I thought that they would, you know, we kind of like put this number in our head, like, Oh, you know, when I get to a hundred and something pounds, then I'm going to look like this. Well, no, it don't work like that. I have learned it does not work that way. So I hired a trainer almost a year ago, and we have been working on body recomposition, which is different than weight loss. I mean, so certainly I've been losing weight, but body recomposition is just what it sounds like. It is recomposing what your body looks like. So this is how you can see two people who weigh the exact same weight. So you can see two people who weigh like 170 pounds, 185 pounds, and they look completely different. It's because the way that their body is composed, some people have much more muscle and much less fat versus, you know, the other way around. So that has really been my focus uh, ever since I hired this trainer is body recomposition. And people have been like, girl, I'm ready for the meal plan. Like, let me know what you've been doing. You know, we want to hear all about it. And I think that that is a real temptation, right? To kind of like, have an experience and then turn that experience into like this replicable product that, you know, like, Hey, if you just do what I do, you'll get these results. And I have been bit in the butt by that sort of thing a hundred times, because don't get me wrong. There are some really kind of like common sense things that you can do that will work for everybody. But I have learned at this stage in the game, you know, I'm a woman of a certain age <coughs> and the things that I could do at 20 to lose a few pounds versus the things I could do at 30 to lose a few pounds, baby, once the, once the clock turned on 40, my body was like, it's a new ball game chick. Like all the rules are out the window. I mean, way out the window because the way these hormones be set up, ooh child. So I, I hesitate to create something like that and say, Hey, if you just do this, because everybody comes into weight loss or changes in their body from a different station. And so I don't necessarily want to be that person. But what I will say is that 
this journey, the physical part of it, so the the trainer hiring part of it, really, I'm at the end of a very long journey. Okay, so this is kind of like the ending chapters of a very long book. And that book started with inner work. Okay, like there is no way in the world that I would be able to sustain this program and do this program and show up for this program and choose myself every single solitary day of the week if I had not done the inner work. And so I can give you a just add water program. Oh, eat two of these, eat three of those, you know, do these macros and drink this much water. I can do that. But honestly, without the inner work, um, I don't think it's going to be effective. And so, you know, this podcast is really about that whole and complete, not just, you know, looking healthy, but actually being healthy, not just looking well, but actually being well. And so I'm really proud of my journey, not because of how it's starting to, you know, kind of like physically manifest now, which has taken a long time, but how it started with the inner manifestations of getting rid of some things and working through some things and releasing some emotional weight and some spiritual weight before we got to the physical weight. So having said all of that, um, uh, we are going to be in the relationship series for a quite a long haul. And we're starting with our relationship with food. And believe it or not, we actually have a guiding scripture for this. You know, the Bible has a word for everything. And we're going to get more into like the spiritual unpacking of this part next week. But for this week, this is where our guiding scripture is. And it comes from Matthew chapter four. And it says, he answered, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so Matthew chapter four is where we find Jesus being tempted (laughs) by the devil. Like, hey, you know, he'd been out up there fasting, you know, and that's that's how the enemy comes up on you when you're hungry, when you're lonely, when you're thirsty, when you're in need of some things and you've been without some things and, you know, came up to tempt him. And this was one of the responses that that Jesus had. And the point of this is that we cannot live solely to satisfy our physical desires, passions, food or otherwise. But there are some other components of this that we have to to, to use and leverage in order to live a whole and complete life. So we're going to get into that piece of it next week. But for today, we are talking about how it started coping with cookies and back to the beginning. So here we go. And for those of you who are like, did she say coping with cooking? No, I said cookies like cookie monster. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Okay. So how it started. Okay. Let's, let's define terms as we, as we do in this podcast, when we start a new series, we always want to define terms to make sure that we're understanding and speaking from the same context. So let's define a relationship. Shall we? What is a relationship? A relationship is the way in which two people, two objects, or two concepts are connected. I will repeat that. A relationship is the way in which two people, two objects, or two concepts are connected. And the inherent indication or implication in this definition is that there is a channel or a method by which two entities become connected. So the definition says the way in which, okay, so the way, the method, the the mechanism, the process by which two people or two things or two objects become connected. So that's the other implication that there is a connection here. But for the purposes of this series, we are going to be focusing on the way in which we become connected or bonded to things like food or money or people. And why does this matter? What difference does it make, right? It matters because the way that we become bonded 
has a direct impact on the quality and the character of the relationship. I'm going to repeat that. The way that we become bonded or connected to food, to money, to people has a direct impact on the quality and the character of the relationship. So there are healthy ways and unhealthy ways to enter a relationship. And it can be complicated and varied based on your emotional and mental state at the time that you enter the relationship. You know, later on this season, we're going to be doing a series on dating and sugar pie, honey bunch. A lot will be said about the way we enter those dating relationships. Okay. Because the way that we come into it will determine whether or not it's going to be a relationship a casual companionship, a situationship, entanglements and all that who shot John. But, you know, I digress. But today we're talking about our relationship with with food and who we are emotionally and who we are mentally when we become bonded to things like food and become bonded to things like money um, or in connection or in relationship with those things will directly impact the quality and character of the relationship. So when you think about your own relationship with food, the ways in which you are connected to it, how would you describe it? Would you say that you have a healthy or an unhealthy relationship with food? And I think before you can answer that, I mean, to a degree, generally, we know what it feels like to be in a healthy relationship. Actually, you know what? Let me not say that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let me not say that because I've had lots of people tell me that they've never had healthy relationships with certain family members. They've never had healthy relationships in romantic partnerships. They've never had those healthy relationships. So not let me not make that blanket assumption, but I do think it is important to understand what those characteristics might look like. And I think too often, especially in communities of color, we tend to be, when someone is too, too thin, you know, we, we tend to want to, you know, shove a plate of food in front of their faces because we have our ideas of what we think healthy looks like. But I think too often in our communities, we tend to think of eating disorders as like starving ourselves or anorexia. But in truth, you know, an eating disorder is like a, a it's a collection of thoughts and feelings and behaviors that are not just about weight and are not just about food but also include unhealthy thoughts about health. Okay, I want to repeat that. An eating disorder is not just about, you know, people not eating enough or, you know, girl, you need to go eat a sandwich or whatever, you know, derogatory little jabs we want to throw out there. No, eating disorders is not just about not eating enough. It's also about the thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that are not just about weight and food, but also are about health and depending on what those thoughts, behaviors, and feelings are, this can create this really strict regimen, okay, where I can only eat this and I can only eat that. And if you give me one carb, you know, I will like explode. That's very strict, okay? Or it can create these moments of chaos, you know, where we feel like we've gone off the deep end or we've gone too far in another direction. And now we're in these moments of chaos and panic, you know, trying to get back to some semblance of normality or what we think is healthy. And- that can impact our quality of life in ways that we really cannot imagine. I mean, like these relationships, those moments of chaos or those moments of just strict rigidity where you just don't have any sort of flexibility whatsoever just can create so much emotional upheaval. You know, it's just not a healthy way 
to live. And I bring this up because I wish I wish you all could really truly appreciate, you know, the kind of self-mutilation that people are undergoing right now to get a quote unquote snatched waist. There's this conception of beauty out there again. And, and, and I want, I would say communities of color, but it's even, it's, it's transcended that, you know, it's like the, these ideal quote unquote forms and people are doing all kinds of things, you know, going under the knife. They are starving themselves. They're on certain diets. They're using certain devices and what have you to, to try to get, a certain look people are berating themselves every time they eat carbs you know they can't even have a slice of pizza and just enjoy the doggone slice without feeling like oh my god tomorrow I gotta run 10 miles or oh my gosh tomorrow I gotta drink uh lemonade cayenne pepper maple syrup and whatever you know that that concoction is and that's another thing people are drinking all kinds of syrups and vinegars and just these things to try to, you know, constantly be cleansing and, and juicing and things like that. Now, I'm not saying that from time to time, you don't need a bodily reset because <laughs> there are times where we do overdo it. And there are times where we do need to drink more water and less wine and, and you know, eat more vegetables and less carbs and fat and sugar and that sort of thing. But to the degree that you are doing it and it shapes your identity, how you think about yourself, the degree that you do it, and it shapes how you are attaching the approval of others, of your appearance, to the degree that it is shaping what you believe beauty to be. That's where it begins to border on the unhealthy. And having a relationship, a healthy relationship with food also means examining the way that you feel before and after you eat. So just like there are people in your life who can come into it and just drain all your energy after you encounter them, the very same thing can happen when you eat. You know, you have to look at how do you feel before you eat? How do you feel after you eat? Any relationship that leaves you feeling empty or depressed or guilty or ashamed and defeated is not a healthy relationship. And I know it seems kind of weird to put all of these human emotions and characteristics around something like a relationship with food, but you absolutely have a relationship with food. You absolutely do have one, which brings us to coping with cookies. Now I'm not saying that everybody is coping with cookies, but hear me out here. Okay. So when should we eat, right? When should we eat? The, the simple answer to this is we should eat when we are physically hungry, okay? When, when we are physically hungry, we should eat. But when we eat to feel better or to relieve stress or to reward, that's a key word there, reward ourselves, we are using food to help regulate our emotions. Emotional eating is a real thing. And many of us have the waistlines to prove it. I did, I sure did. It's like I said at the beginning of the episode, I knew that I was not going to be successful in any sort of weight loss effort or body recomposition effort until I pulled the thread and got to the root cause of what was causing me to reach for the wine bottle, what was causing me to reach for food in unhealthy amounts and just dose myself, like what was happening in my life? What was going on? What were the dynamics? What was I trying not to address or do? Like I had to look at all of that, okay? Okay. And I had the waistline to show for it. 
And, you know, when we're having a bad day or a stressful phone call or we just want a treat for all the hard work that we've done, let's keep it 100. Okay, let's keep it a buck. Ain't nobody reaching for the celery sticks. Okay, when we are having a bad day or we stressed out, we are reaching for one of the trifecta, salt, fat, or sugar, or a combination of the three. Okay, is it wrong to eat a cookie or a donut or a slice of cake or a bag of chips? No. Because a healthy relationship with food allows these things in moderation. But when these things become the comfort that we seek or the high that we need to take the edge off of our pain or to numb ourselves or to avoid hurt, that's when the relationship becomes problematic. Using food as a go-to for coping with stress traps us in a cycle where we feel powerless and guilty and lack self-control and then we keep eating to try to mute those emotions and so you feel bad about the eating and then you keep eating and then you feel bad about the eating and so you you, it just it builds on itself and you feel trapped by that cycle and this is problematic whether you gain weight or not because an over-reliance on fat and sugar and salt as a coping mechanism can negatively impact your heart health. It can negatively impact your blood pressure. It can put you at risk for diabetes. And yes, it can cause obesity. So I think it's important for us to understand the difference between emotional hunger and physical hunger, okay? Emotional hunger comes on suddenly. You notice that like when you get triggered or you get upset or you just had a fight with somebody or something just went sideways or, you know, you were scrolling through and all of a sudden you saw your ex skipping down the street with a new boo. You like, <gasps> and boom, now you, now you need comfort. <laughs> now you need a drink. Now you need a bag of chips. Now you need, you know, so it, it's that sudden hunger. Physical hunger comes on gradually. Usually by the time you starving like Marvin, you've been starving for a while. Like an hour ago it was, I could eat, but like now is, okay, listen, somebody going to get hurt. Okay. Like you, you could have, it, it was a gradual buildup. Okay. Rather than that emotional hunger that tends to come on suddenly from some sort of trigger, emotional hunger feels like it needs to be satisfied instantly. Like if I don't eat right now, I'm not going to be okay. Physical hunger can wait. I mean, it, it, it literally can. If you have some water, to tide you over, believe it or not, you can last another hour. I know it don't seem like that, but I promise you it's the truth. Okay. Anybody who's ever done a church fast, trust. (laughs) You can do it. Okay. You just have another, it can wait. Okay. Like anybody who's ever done a church fast, you know, you can wait, You, you will hold out. But when it's that emotional hunger, you feel like you are literally gonna lose it if you don't get something right then and there. Emotional hunger tends to crave specific comfort foods, okay? So it's like I said, ain't nobody reaching for the celery and carrots. It's just one of those, like, I have to have this specific thing because this is this chocolate, these chips, this treat is going to scratch the itch that I have right now. Versus physical hunger, you know, is open to options. You know, it doesn't have to be chips. It doesn't have to be chocolate. It doesn't have to be wine, it could be, okay, I'm going to chew on these almonds and these will tab me over until I can get home and, and make something a little bit more robust. Emotional hunger is not satisfied with the full stomach. And that's the key, right? When you are eating emotionally, there physically, there is a receptor in your brain that says, I'm full now. 
But when you're eating for emotions, it's not about full. It's about comfort, okay, which is why you keep going to the refrigerator and pulling the door open when you literally just ate 20 minutes ago. You literally just had something 45 minutes ago. You're really not hungry. It's not about being full versus physical hunger stops when you are full. Also, emotional eating triggers feelings of guilt, powerlessness, and shame versus when you are eating to satisfy physical hunger, it does not make you feel bad about yourself. Okay, so it's important to understand the difference between those two dynamics, which brings us back to the beginning. So how did we get here, right? Remember, I told you we're focusing on the way in which we became bonded to things like food and money. And and one of the places that we have to look always, of course, is like childhood habits, right? And as parents, I'm not trying to make you feel bad as parents, but this is something that we might want to reevaluate with our children, Think back to those memories of food. You know how like parents and teachers are always like, if you're a good girl, if you're a good boy, if you come to class every day, if you get an A on your spelling test, we'll have a pizza party. You know, we'll have food, you know, so food, ice cream, pizza, it became like the treat, the reward. This is you are setting up that conditioning that the way that I reward myself, the way that I access pleasure for doing a good job and for accomplishment and worth is through decadent access to treats and sugar and things like that. And so if you were raised like that, then those habits can easily just roll right over into adulthood. Another thing that influences like the way in which we become bonded and connected is social influence. So think about it. So many of our family gatherings, so many of our outings with our friends are centered around food. It's easy to eat just because the food is there or everybody else is eating or there are some people you can't go to their house without them shoving a plate of food in your hand. Like you better eat something. I know you're not going to leave here without getting something to eat. Hey, get two or three of those uh, Ziploc things because you're going to take some of this food out of here. Like it just social pressures are creating, you know, like this this compulsion to like eat and on the flip side of that because of these social situations sometimes that can kind of create anxiety I think a lot more of us have social anxiety than we are willing to admit sometimes we just don't feel like doing small talk sometimes we just don't feel like being around the whole family sometimes we just don't feel like being a part of the group and so some people use food to occupy themselves so that they don't have to talk to other people. Or it's like, if I, they see me eating, then they won't come over here and try to have a conversation with me. You know, so people also use food to avoid social interactions with other people. Another thing that we do or have learned to do over time is stuffing our emotions. And so this particularly for children, if you grew up in a household that was not particularly healthy and loving and caring and nurturing if it was dysfunctional. And usually children that grow up in dysfunctional households tend not to have a voice. They are encouraged to be seen and not heard, to not be a burden, to quote unquote, get somewhere and sit down. And so we learn not to communicate our feelings. We learn not to advocate for ourselves. We learn not to say when we are hurting emotionally or when our feelings are hurt. And so instead of communicating our feelings, we stuff them down. And one of the ways that we stuff them down is we stuff ourselves <laughs> with food to try to manage the pain of not being able to be a fully functioning and valued member of our own households. And a couple of other things that we do before we, we wrap up this episode 
is retreat. Okay, so this is where we turn away from people and turn to food instead. So it's not like there are not alternatives to food, which we will get into next week, but we turn away from them. Like we don't want to go to those alternatives. We'd rather stick with the food because we think that food is more reliable. Food doesn't judge, you know, food doesn't talk back. Food is just there. We're in control of, of the food and it gives us a sense of, of peace in that regard. Also, things like disengagement, where we turn away from activities that might otherwise relieve the stress or the sadness or loneliness. Now, I will tell you this. One of the things that I have taken to as part of my fitness regimen is running. I don't I'm not going to say I recommend it. I don't love it at all. Um, It still sucks. (laughs) It's easier to do than it used to be. But it still sucks because, you know, I'm just not a small person and I just I just have a lot more mass to to carry down the track. Okay, but the point is that I can honestly say that it really is a great stress reliever and it's a high impact. It just it it ticks a lot of boxes, you know, and I always feel better afterwards like I that I can honestly say about running. Same thing with yoga. Yoga is hard. I used to like poke fun at people that did yoga and I'd be like, Y'all ain't doing nothing but sitting and breathing until I got into yoga one day and I was like, oh, okay, I owe you an apology. (laughs) And it was much harder than I thought it was because those poses ain't no joke. But just like running, I always feel better afterwards. But when you are disengaging from that sort of activity and instead engaging and plugging into food, that's another way that we get bonded and hooked when we disengage from healthier alternatives and we plug into food instead. And then last but not least, there are what is called cortisol cravings. So cortisol is the stress hormone. When we are stressed, the adrenal gland pumps out cortisol and cortisol increases your appetite. Okay. And it contributes to belly fat. So when you are constantly in a place of stress and you got cortisol coursing through the bloodline, It's always saying eat, whether you're full or not, okay, because it's saying I need to be satiated and it makes you hungry, okay? So next week, we're gonna be talking about how do we get our hands around that? How do we begin to regulate that, okay? So in our next show, we're gonna unpack the spiritual cravings of all of this, okay? Getting back into that Matthew 4.4, how do we create a healthier relationship with food? And I will be sharing some aspects of my story about how I made it this far. So, That is where we will stop for now. If you have any questions, comments, takeaways, hit me up at Dr. Shante Says. I do have an ask. Please continue. If you are new to this podcast or you've been listening for a while and I asked you to write a review for the show and you was like, oh, I meant to do that, but I kept forgetting. If you could do that, that would be so helpful because in a new season, the more that we rate and review the podcast, the easier it is. You know, iTunes and Apple Podcasts, they have their algorithms just like everybody else has their algorithms. And so when the audience engages or rates the podcast, it makes it easier to show up for other people. And some of you have told me that, that you found my podcast listening to somebody else's podcast. It was like, oh, well, if you're listening to this person, you'll probably like Dr. Shantae. See, it works just like that. So if this is providing value for you and it's helping you, then please, by all means, please rate the podcast. And the highest compliment always is when you share it with other people because you feel like it can impact their lives. So that is it. That is my ask. I appreciate you. I will be back next week with part two. If you have any questions, comments, takeaways, hit me up at Dr. Shante Says, and I'll see you next time.